You're listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochchurch.sg. The local church, what a church should see as its objective. What is a church doing? What's the purpose of the local church? Why? And Paul, of course, planted churches, including this church there at Ephesus. He instigated, begun that, and people took over. And of course, there are people on the ground working in the church at this time that he writes the letters. And whenever he wrote letters, it's because he was not present to speak it, of course. He was elsewhere, and he wrote to them about the church and the well-being of the church, the development of the church, the growth of the church, all the best teachings we have outside of the seminal context of the church mentioned by Jesus, Matthew chapter 16, 18, universal and local, the words of Paul, I think, are the best church words that we have because they give us the kind of tangible and very real structure and design about protocols and things in the church, but they are also left quite ambiguous in many realms so that we can have the freedom to fill in blanks so that our culture not be curtailed. In other words, God does not circumvent culture. He works through culture. He cooperates with culture. So in a given nation or a place, wherever you are, if it's Singapore or Japan or Malaysia or Indonesia or Uganda or wherever in the middle of Zimbabwe, he's going to find out by the Spirit. Of course, he already knows the culture of that land in that place. And he operates according to and through the culture of that land, and that is the church. So therefore, the letters just give us basic highlights, some focuses. The only debatable sections of passages that we go into and debate as the church concerning the Pauline letters especially, or wherever there's any confusion, it is really surrounding the where he got too articulate about a cultural thing, uh, such as veils, or these, you know, some of these things. That's where we have the troubles, but most of the letters are beautifully presented in a, in a rather ambiguous setting. They just, look, this is a basic idea, so we have at the core, or the principles, his letters are beautiful to give us an objective or a goal for the church. Our goal as a church, I like what it says, In the, this is the end, we're going to reverse engineer the passage because I want to show you what our goal is here first. Then, we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head that is Christ. So here we see verses 14 through 16. What I believe is our goal. We should have as a goal in the church to equip the believers, the saints, and bring them to such a place that they are no longer infants. Amen? How many of you would like not to be an infant? I'm not saying you are, but there are infants, meaning we are infantile, spiritually minded sometimes about the things of the kingdom. Well, Paul has and says here, then, that is as a result of everything that precedes this in this chapter, we will, if you do all those things that precede it, you're no longer going to be infants. You're not going to be tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching. And boy, there's a lot of winds blowing all the time. There's new doctrines, new ideas, new things. There's the, it's like 
fads. They're more like fads to me. A lot of the doctrines I call fashionable doctrines. They're like what some people believe are the new thing. And when people get a hold of these doctrines, I understand why Paul said tossed. Because they are, they're taken so far to an extreme when they hear certain new doctrines or new ideas that they sometimes become imbalanced and problematic and even divisive in the harmony of the overall body of Christ because they make a test of fellowship out of these doctrines. They decide, you know what, if you're not blowing a shofar in your church, you're not of God. I'm not saying anybody said that. I'm just saying and suddenly, you know, if there's a shofar fad and everybody wants to blow a shofar, I personally don't have a problem with a shofar. If you want to blow a shofar, go right ahead. And But honestly, scripturally, bound by the Word of God in the New Testament, which is our Testament, by the way, and the Old Testament is simply a, a, a schoolhouse where we learn to apply those principles that are written down in the New Testament, it's not commanding me to blow a shofar. In other words, a lot of the doctrines that are throwing the believers around are things that are connected to externalisms and not really uh, intrinsic or, or internal spirituality. They have a lot to do with outside practices. As a young Christian, I saw so many whims and fancies come through. Uh, there was a moment where little red cloths were dipped in oil and tied to everything as a way to sanctify whatever they were tied to. I see scriptural precedent for oil. I see all those things. But how many of you know that sometimes we can go to extremes? But what leads us to those extremes? It's because some evangelist, some person, some teacher decides that God has told them this specific thing and they go to extremes. I think there is tolerance for all different ideas and I'm not one to stifle somebody in there expressivity, the way that they want to uh, do something. But be careful that you not run after those, because if you do, you're running after all these ideas and principles. Before long, you have no stability. You're not locked down because you're tossed about here and there and everywhere. And those fads, they come and they go. But the basic principles of the Word of God, they last forever. They'll always be there. And we have them as a foundation. But these people ever went to teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Now, I'm not saying that everybody is de deceitfully scheming, uh, but some are. Some want to sell you a splinter of the old rugged cross. You know, some want to sell you uh, water from the Jordan. Some want to sell you special uh, Bethlehem oil in little vials. And they market this stuff and actually can make money and there are a lot of, of these things that are also tied, once again, to externalities. But anyway, there are deeper issues also about doctrines that we need to be careful about. But this is our goal, not to be infants. So that when these winds blow, if you see, if you're not an infant, you have some discerning, some preparedness, some education in Christ, some biblical concepts locked down inside of yourself. When the wind blows, you're not moving. The wind can blow all at once and people can scream their doctrine at you, but you have balance inside. And you say, yeah, you're not going to judge them, let them go. But you'll see a lot of people that do not have a stability easily blown about. And Paul didn't want that for the church at Ephesus. Paul didn't want that for any of his churches. I don't think God wants that for any of us. 
So it says that we get past that. Instead, speaking the truth in love. We will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body. And that's our objective, to become a mature, strong church, a strong body. How many of you would agree that this is a reasonable goal as a church? That we should want to do these things. Okay, so now, as we're getting through these verses, seeing what Paul has, his, this objective that he's given, our focus of this message is the preceding passage as a list of things that we need in place to reach that goal. In other words, if it says, then we will, then what? If I say, my mama, my mama, then we can eat. Well, what are we eating? I didn't say. I said, if I buy the ham, cheese, and bread, then we can eat. Then you understand, because I bought ham, cheese, and bread, then, then we're eating. So this then means something very important. What precedes it? That is the seven elements of the calling that we're going to see. Worthy of the calling because that's where it all starts with the foundation of the fact that Paul is mentioning from the very beginning of this chapter about this call. So number one, the calling, Ephesians 4, 1 and 2. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Now, of course, he is speaking to the church. The ecclesia is a body of people together. We're going to see language throughout this passage that speaks about the body of Christ and our maturity being dependent upon one another. There is no room for individual maturity apart from the collective. Uh, recently I did that message on the body of Christ. And those of you here, you heard us where we talked about those principles. We read also what Paul was saying. So we together must mature. I'm not going to let you get tossed about. If we share ideas and understandings, if we reach a mutual stability in God's Word, then the calling that He gives us, then we'll be able to walk worthy of that calling that we receive. In other words, He's called us. God's calling everyone into service in His kingdom. As I say again and again, uh, we are all subject to the King as our commander-in-chief. Uh, early in our Christian life, we began to realize that we are designed for a specific purpose. That is your calling. Uh, the body of Christ is made up of many parts, as we've discussed. But all of those parts, congruently, and collectively work together for one thing, one body. I have hand, ear, eye, nose, all my senses working together in harmony to help me, direct me, and lead me. So our calling is into the church, and when we are called, we hear, when we get saved, we come to church, we begin to start to think about some specific things that we like to do. Maybe we have a big mouth. Maybe we like to talk more than other people. Uh, well, that can be used. God, that may be an evangelist. You know, you don't know yet until you grow into it. Uh, sometimes we are more pensive, uh, more careful, and we like details. Maybe you're a teacher. Uh, and you already know that this passage is where we find the fivefold ministry. But we're really not focusing on that as much as we're focusing on everything surrounding it. But the calling, according to each individual, will be specific to that individual because God wants to make you that so that we can work together as a team. So we have to walk a life worthy of that calling, according to this. And this is the pursuit of the development of our character as God's servants. In other words, first comes the anointing, 
uh, and to be what God calls us to be. In other words, He anoints us. My analogy I always use scripturally is King David. King David was chosen of the family of Jesse. All the other bro brothers were considered first, and they didn't even have David in the mix until Samuel said, no, this isn't the one either. He went through brother after brother after brother, and they got this ruddy child named David who was left out in the field to shepherd the sheep. He did not look kingly to anyone because he was a child, but yet he was still anointed. Samuel took the vial, opened it, and poured the oil over his head, but he did not become king overnight. It was a long, arduous, difficult path that he had to go through in the development of his character and his understanding for him to be suitable to sit on the throne as a king to rule Israel. And that's just what happens in the body of Christ. In the calling we come, God calls us, puts us in the church, and we are growing. Our goal will be that we're not as infants and we grow, but in the process we understand that even though we are anointed and empowered, our character will have to develop and grow to rise to the level of that anointing. You can say that trust that God has put on you. You understand, when He calls you, He trusts you to fulfill a task, a purpose. A very serious issue. That's why we must be driven by a purpose. We have to be focused on a purpose. What is the design of God in me? What am I supposed to be? What is my calling? Always meditate on that. And we have to understand that it is our focus. We're driven to that. You know, Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 62, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now I want to qualify um, this scripture. I didn't put that in there. Okay. And you, well, you know the passage. No one puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit. And this is a good passage because we know that if we are focused, and this is the thing about focus in the calling of God, when, when He's called us, He says, walk worthy, but it's not worthy like a deservedness. It's not worthy like you're going to earn it. It has a lot more to do with you simply not quitting and moving forward. Just keep going. Keep going. He will take care of everything. We're going to talk about grace later on, but right now, under the calling... Uh, if you put your hand to the plow, it doesn't say he that puts his hand to the plow and does a lousy job is not fit. No, it just says looking back. If you don't look back, even if you are a horrible plowman, I think God, as long as you continue, and I've seen people take the plow and just, just do zigzags in the field. There's no real rhyme or reason to what they're doing, but they don't look back. Bless their heart. They try. They're working. I like that. I'll accept that. That's fine. Just keep doing something. Just don't stop functioning. And this is what God is looking for, I believe, and what He will reward when we are called. Put your hand in the plow. Don't look back. Now, He's going to empower you. He's going to help you. Uh, and when you start doing the works of the kingdom, you do not do them very well because you have to grow into them and you also need the principle of God adding to you of His Spirit like He did with the craftsmen of the temple. I will add to them of my Spirit, He said. So you call them. He named Bezalel, but He also said fine skilled craftsmen, people who are trying, and I will add to them. And thank God that He adds to us uh, from His Spirit. We are the physical beings. Uh, we have a mind. We have emotions. We have a will. If we yield those things to God, our physical body, our mind, our emotions, then God can use that container or that vessel. And we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We're not gold 
or silver. Like Captain Kuhlman used to say, God's not looking for golden vessels. He's not looking for silver vessels. He's looking for yielded vessels. People who simply may be made of clay, but they're willing to contain what God has. And that is number two, the anointing. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3 continues. Make every effort. At first it told you to bear with one another in love. It says, uh, you know, humble, gentle, patient. Then he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So here we see a number of elements lined up in this, but it begins by saying we need to make every effort to maintain, what is this, the spirit through the bond of peace, the unity. This is really the flow, the movement of the anointing of God. That us to be unified in spirit, we all have to agree on God's presence and the moving of His spirit for Him to have the freedom in our group to do as He pleases. And that's why we spend so much time here focusing on that and calling that into being by saying, we will not stop you, we will not stand in your way. I say pretty much the same words in every service so that God knows that whatever He wants to do to interrupt the service, take over, hijack it, Lord, just take it, do whatever you want to do, and fly it wherever you want to fly. If it's a plane, it's hijacked. Every service, I take my time to put my flight plan together, and as a pilot, I know how to, I know how to fly, and I take off my flight plan, I will keep to it, I have my waypoints, but if God wants to hijack the plane, He can do that. It's, he has the right to do that. He's, you know, if He just comes and knocks on the cabin door, and I open it, and He says, you know, I just want to take over. I have to give Him the yoke. It's called a yoke in an aircraft. I have to give Him that and let Him take it and say, fly wherever you want to fly. So it is with our lives. And that, for us, we have to be in agreement with that. Because we might have purpose and come in together to learn something. Um, every Wednesday, he kind of messes up my class. You know, I have I have um, a specific design to talk about the nation of God. I don't think anybody's even remembering what I'm talking about. Because on Wednesdays, the Holy Spirit's just been coming in. It's like he says, Steve, that's cute, but let me show you what I got. And then he does what he wants to do. So every Wednesday, we've been going off on these tangents. I'm fine with that. You understand? I don't have... I have no ego to bruise when it comes to that. I'm fine. I'm happy happy when the Master gives us and walks. And this is part of keeping the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Us knowing how to just yield and allow God to do whatever He wants to do. And there's elements here that are listed. Seven singular unified elements of our bond of peace are in a list. Do I have that in the PowerPoint? I don't have it. Well, I dropped a lot of stuff in the PowerPoint and I thought I couldn't. But anyway, you see it lined up here. One body, one Spirit. So you see body, Spirit, Hope, Lord, faith, baptism, God and Father. Seven things that are singularly unified as elements. And if we meditate on those principles, I find it helps us keep the bond of the peace of the Holy Spirit, the unity of the Spirit. That our focus being one body. In other words, not forgetting that we are one body. We're not an individual running off, but we are one body and we all need to function as one body, all agreed 
together your church and its members is that body. That's why the anointing is coming. Two or more gathered, he's there in the midst of us. The two or more make up the parts of the body. And for us to, to make this effort, making every effort is extreme. I did a message once on all the times in the Bible where it says make every effort. There's only a handful of them. And it's when you need to really uh, pull out all the stops and spend all your money on it, do whatever it takes. When it says it, it's extreme. Meaning that let no holes be barred. You do your fullest possible. Whatever is possible for you to do, do that to keep the unity of the Spirit. And that is to maintain the anointing. Understanding we're one body. Understanding that the Holy Spirit is one and there are not different Holy Spirits in the room for each individual, but one Spirit that has one purpose in operation. The Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. Very real, operating, walking, living in our services. I do not think of the Holy Spirit as gas or cloud or mist. But as, a, as just like Jesus, physically, standing in the meeting, He will do as He pleases when He wants one spirit, one hope, it says there. We all hope for our place in redemption. We all have the same hope. Our hope is, is not simply that our church grow or that uh, we be successful in life. It's bigger than that. Our hope is it holds like an anchor within the veil, the scripture says. Where is that? That's the holy of holies in eternity. That the light of eternity is what's drawing us moths to the flame. We're heading to that. Our hope is what awaits for us in eternity. Keep your focus there. Set your affection on things where? Above. Yeah, not things on the earth. And that is part of this, this uh, unity that we keep of the Spirit. We want to be unified in the Spirit. That is walking in the anointing. We need to have that hope always focused on eternity. One Lord... Uh, we cannot share lordship. There cannot be various lords. And what that means is there's some areas of your life that he's lord of and some areas that, of your life that he may not be lord of. It's hard to walk in the Spirit. It's hard to have the anointing if he's not the lord of every area. He needs to be the commander-in-chief of all. One faith that is a singular belief that we all believe the same thing. We believe that Jesus died and was buried. He took our sins and He rose again. And of course, we know our basic doctrines. And we have that as unity together also. It says one baptism. Actually, you know, one-fifth of the uses of the word baptizo in the Greek are not water baptism. One-fifth of them are speaking about spirit baptism. And that's a lot of time. So the baptism, of course, it also is we are, we are baptized into His death. And, you know, the similitude of our going under the water and rising is the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. But also the baptism of the Spirit. And finally, one God and Father. No other gods besides Him. He's the Lord of all. So there are seven things there that we see just in brief going at. These seven elements are focal points of maintaining the anointing in our lives. Let's go to number three. The grace. Ephesians 4, verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is important. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That means that Christ, Jesus, is the one who gives out grace and He gives it as a gift. Uh, this is why it says, when He ascended on high, He took many captives and gave gifts to His people. The reason it says that, that 
NIV did a disservice to the original Greek when it said apportioned. Apportioned means measure of the gift. Literally is what the, the passage means. Yeah, I did have it. Okay. Measure of the gift, a gift freely given and hence not acquired by merit or entitlement. And that Jesus, in other words, grace is a free gift given without our deserving it. We can never deserve it. We will never earn it. He gives it to us freely. Walking worthy of the call that God has given us depends upon our understanding of this grace. It is foundational to the calling. He's calling us to become the mature believers that are not tossed about, but are not infants, but we actually understand and we grow in maturity together. But the foundation of our calling is on grace because all of the gifts that are mentioned are given specifically with Greek words that mean grace, unmerited favor. The gift, the kind of word that's used for gift, where it says apportioned by Christ, is a word connected to grace which cannot be earned. It is a free gift. Often it's translated free gift. They throw the word free on there so that you can understand that it is not something you could pay for. It's not that something that you could deserve. What I'm happy about when I see that also is that that grace is the foundation for all the ministries we're about to see in the fivefold ministry as well. In other words, whenever you are in Christ, you're not doing it in your own strength. You're not doing it because you deserve it or you're entitled. It is a gift that He decides to give you. And it is His choice. It is His choice. Just like the gifts of the Spirit. It says He, he divides them up severally as He wills. In other words, He gives the gifts to whoever He wants to give the gifts. Well, see, then what makes up His mind? Is it a sovereign plan? I don't really believe it's entirely sovereign that he decides because of some ancient plan that was written before the foundation of the earth who he's going to give gifts to. Because I think that it has a lot to do with our desire, our passion, if the kingdom can be taken by force, if the woman with the issue of blood stole the power that was intended for the daughter of Jairus, so also we can grab hold of things and take them if we want them. And that too, not you see, because if you understand the foundation of grace to all gifts and callings, then you know it doesn't matter. You think, well, I don't know if I deserve to be. Of course you don't deserve to be anything. You don't deserve to be an apostle or a prophet or an evangelist. You don't deserve to have the gifts of the Spirit. That's wrong thinking. It's free. So therefore, like a buffet, you don't deserve those grapes. The price has already been paid. You go get the grapes. You can eat as many grapes as you want. How many of you have ever emptied an entire bin of prawns off of a buffet into your plate? I'm guilty. I'm going to raise my hand. Why? Because the price was paid. They put the prawns out. I took all the prawns. Well, you're supposed to share. Well, the kitchen needs to prepare more prawns because those prawns are my prawns. You know, the things that people... And then people go by and take one, two prawns. No, not me. I'm a prawn master. I love prawns. I just take the bin and just dump it and look around and see who's watching. I can't get in trouble for that. Why? They say, well, that's greedy. I don't know. It depends on your perspective. When it comes to spiritual things, when it comes to the gift of the Spirit, it's the only thing in the Bible that says you can covet after. Everything else says don't covet gifts. He said go ahead and covet. The same related word in the Greek. The apportioned things. The free gift. The things that you're not entitled to. You don't have to be entitled to them. You just go up and grab them. It's already been paid for at Calvary. He paid for it with his blood. He paid the buffet price. I take a lot, honestly. I do. I don't mind being greedy. 
when it comes to the things of God's kingdom, and especially the gifts, and because it is all by His His grace and it's foundational. To the Everything I have is because I went and took it. I just went and took it. I'm gonna, you know what? I'm not done taking it either. I'm gonna take more. I'm gonna keep. I will become even more greedy than this. I'm dignified, maybe God, like David told his wife Michael right before she was rendered barren because of her lack of understanding of what he was doing. Number four. The root. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Now, this is, of course, is speaking of the work of Calvary. Within these two verses, you see the fullness of the scope of the power of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, His ascension, His descent into the lower parts of earth to do what He did. And I want you to understand this as a root, or the root to your calling and everything. This is the source, the root. This is where all authority comes from. He... He won this authority by His conquest. We are not conquerors. We're more than conquerors. We're above a conqueror because we get what the conqueror gives us. He gives us everything. So we're more than conquerors to take these things. So the fullness of the work of the crucifixion of Christ, His death, His descent into the lower parts, His physical burial, His ascension in victory, resurrection, is the root of our power and authority on this planet. There is no other source of power than what he did. The power he that's why he said, all authority I have I have, I take it this this power I give to you. You can trample on the enemy. You can run right over him. You do it that he will by, not by any means hurt you. I mean it's a very extreme amount of power, but it's important that we understand the root of it, where it comes from. It comes from this conquest that he actually went down into the lower parts of the earth and he went down into paradise adjacent um, Hades where the abyss was and there's Abraham and I, all the patriarchs were down there waiting in paradise subterranean compartment in the earth he went down there and said okay guys you're ready it's time to go because they could not yet make their way to the father because Jesus had not yet made the atonement for that way to be open now there were some individuals that apparently were taken up fiery chariot types, people who just taken because they had a reputation of being a friend with God. You know these characters. But the rest of them were hanging down in paradise. And this is what this is talking about. He went down there and he led captivity captive. He took those people that were down there as captives and said, okay, I'm bringing you up because now the way was open. Well, so how do we know the way was open? Because it says the veil in the temple was rent in twain. When that veil, which was symbolic of that wall between eternity and time, was ripped, that's what he meant. It's finished. My job, the fullness of his job was to open that door. He did it. And once it was open, he could freely, as you've heard me call it, the elevator, he could then ride the Actually, if you see the chronology of the ups and downs of Jesus in this elevator that he was in, he was going up and down and up and down and up and down. And, you know, because he went up and his spirit came down. First he was up. He started on the highest floor in heaven. So he came down in the elevator down the earth. He dwelled here for 33 years. And then he descended at that point down into the earth. And he came back up where he was seen. And he did the elevator up from kind of being pieced together. He brought those captives up there. And then he came back down. 
and because he said he'd not yet ascended to the Father, where was the Father? Up, oh, you know, you get the theology of it. He was zigzagging. He's going up and down. He was playing in the lift. You know, he was just going up and down, taking care of his business. But he knew what he was doing. Then he came back, and walked on earth for forty days before he got back in the lift. And he did that in front of him. He pushed that up button. He said, "All right, guys, you just wait for the promise of the Father." All right? And he and they watched him go up in the lift. And the angels had to come and say, "What are you looking at?" Look, just just go. Do what he told you to do. Don't worry about it. He's going to come back. Just so he's going to come back down in the elevator again. Don't worry. He's coming back. But that work, it demonstrates that he can freely do that absolute authority and power as a physical being. That's why he became physical. As a physical being, so that physical people like me and you can also have that authority and that power. Everything's built on that understanding. That's the root. That's the root. Man, you get this stuff settled in your spirit and Satan is afraid of you. The devil can't stand when people understand these things. He gets upset. Last night we made the devil mad. Literally, he was mad. We did some things and we came to some revelations and some understandings last night in the, in the teaching. And he just I saw him getting angry because of our understanding. Because he can't do anything. He's so helpless against us. He's trying and he wants to. But man, we are really in a good place. You say, why? of the root. We have this conquest as the root of all that we have in authority. And Jesus did the perfect job that no other person could have done. The fullness of the work of His mission and what He has accomplished for all of us is overwhelming. And we thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That's really what we were doing last night. Just think, we thanked Him for a long, beautiful words in worship. We thanked and thanked and thanked. I couldn't stop thanking Him. I kept just saying, just gratitude. I cried just saying gratitude. The word gratitude was making me cry. Because the spirit of gratitude came in the room last night. And our gratitude rose. It was just, I felt it pouring out of me like smoke. Last night it was really beautiful. And I just, I tell him, sometimes you just get it. You just connect with gratitude. And I was so thankful to him. And I thank him for this. Gosh, the scope. You understand? I get so excited about this. I'm sorry, but I get so excited about what he did. It's so big. It's so much bigger than just, he died and was buried and rose again. Hallelujah. No, it's bigger than that. That's an encapsulation in very brief perspective. Infants think that way. But that's what we're working on. Our goal is not to be infants, but that we understand the complexities and the depth of the fullness of what he did. It's amazing. And if we get a hold of it in our understanding, we are we are unstoppable. We are impenetrable. We are impermeable. He can't we become superheroes in the faith. We can't he can't touch us. We're free. Well, you better watch it, brother. The devil's going to make you a target if you talk like that. Uh, I don't care. He's been targeting me for more than, more than 30 years. I'm still here. We keep going. Yeah, but you, you need to go to some rough areas where the spirits are hard. I lived in India for six years. How much rougher do you want to get? It's bad there. There's gods everywhere. There's demons everywhere. I heard audible voices daily. Spirits were talking to me. Waking me up in the night. I said, get out of here. I would literally, I learned to just tell demons, get the hell out of here. I'd say, just get the hell out of here. You know where you're going, just get out. out, 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 out. And they have to obey, they go away. I learned, I learned how just to root myself in the root and understand. And all you need to do is tell them, you don't have to tell them a lot, by the way. You just tell them a couple of times and they stop messing with you. 
Because then you're destructive. <laughs> you become destructive to their kingdom. And they don't want they don't want to mess with you because you resisted them and they flee from you. And they don't want that. So have the roots in your understanding. And all this foundation of wonderfulness is what leads us to number five, the ministers. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Christ himself. In other words, Jesus went down. And in the design of his conquest, he thought of categorically what men could do on planet earth in the era of the church before his return and collection of all. He handcrafted these callings. You understand? <laughs> he handcrafted them. He made the perfect types. And he compartmentalized this way so that we will fall naturally into one of these categories and function that way according to the beautiful design of our Jesus. Himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teacher. Do, you have, do I have the list by chance? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Apostle. 80 times it appears in the Bible. Uh, it's of the other call, outside of the 146 times of the prophet, it's more frequently mentioned than all the others. 146 because it's referring to prophets of old very frequently. So there's lots of quotations, the prophet this, the prophet that, the prophet, but it's talking about Isaiah, Jeremiah, and those in the Old Testament. And um, this, but in mentioning local prophets in operation in the book of Acts, it's actually just a handful. Three or four times it's mentioned Abacus by name, specifically speaking about the apostles, though. Eighty times, we know the apostle, I love what I learned in my Bible school, I never forgot the image of the hand, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, the apostle, the prophet, like Nathan, thou art the man, you know, that middle finger being the highest and most visible because you can't hide an evangelist. They stick out, they're always going to be taller and bigger and louder, and then the pastor married to the church, see the ring? And then the teacher, he looks little, but you need him. Believe me, I wouldn't be able to do what I do on the keyboard without my teachers. They have to be there in their place. Very important in the structure. So that hand, the apostle, really, it can touch all the other fingers. Whereas to try to touch, you know, if, let's say a prophet wants to be a pastor, that's kind of hard. You can do it. Live long and prosper. You know, you can do it. <laughs> but it's it's a little a little difficult to move those fingers. And if the prophet wants to be a teacher, be careful. I hear all the time people prophet teacher. He's a prophet teacher. Ooh. He's gonna get some some uh, really flighty students coming out of that school. Again, I mean I don't mind prophets, okay, but they're 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 flighty. You know, they're mystic. I love I love probably I love when I meet them, but they're out there, man. They're they're out there in the Bible. They're out there. They had holes in their garments with their buttocks hanging out. They were climbing out of holes in their own wall with their suitcases. I mean, they were weird people in the New Testament too. Same thing. Agabus takes the guy's belt, takes Paul's belt, wraps it around his own. You know what this means? It tells him. You know that's weird stuff. And I but I, 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 we need prophets. We need prophets to, to stir. I love it. Evangelist, of course, we know, Eugenistis, that evangelism and the evangelist is the one that simply tells everybody the good news. That's what their word means. Good news tellers. People who can't stop sharing the story of Jesus. Now, Jesus designed these compartments for us to fit into. 
And you'll fit into one of them, quite naturally. A pastor, 18 times, but actually this word pastor, which more accurately translated as shepherd, uh, although they use the English word pastor in Ireland and, and other places to describe a shepherd of sheep, still to this day they're pastoring the sheep. Um, that's really when you get Catholicism coming out. Catholic Church used that word pastor of regions, and because the father was called that, it was an adaptation of him as the shepherd. It's but really the most popular name of what we call a pastor in the Bible is elder. Oh no, but elders are elders. No, elders are pastors. Read your Bible more carefully. Because butros in the Greek contextually is always someone in charge of a church, not somebody sitting on a board being bored. <laughs> but somebody, the elder, the eldest is the one leading the church doctrinally and in place and he's a pastor elders are pastors synonymous they're named actually three four different names an overseer same thing you know if someone desire an the position of an overseer later in the same because an elder is this this and this so it's mixing and matching that same term so we know pastor is just the guy that's going to be over the church over a group of sheep pastoring them and helping them to grow and the teacher 59 times the teacher is there in the bible this is what the body of Christ is made up of. Then, of course, you say, well, what about the other people besides people? What if I'm not currently an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher? Well, then you better be a deacon. <laughs> you say, well, what is a deacon? It's not a bunch of people on a board either. A deacon is somebody who deeks. It means that they physically work. The basic division is fivefold, and you see it in the seventh chapter. Um, you see it through the of Acts. You see it through the Bible. You have fivefold ministry, those that speak. And deacons is the helps ministry, those that help, those that speak. Problem happens when you get deacons saying too much. When those that are in the helping capacity, the reasons they're there, because by the way, one of them was Philip, and Philip later became fivefold ministry. He was developing and growing. There is a time of growth. Before that time, you have to serve these guys. Find an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, get under them, lift them up until you become one of them. But I think everybody is on a road to become that. I don't exclude anyone from fivefold ministry. I think it's just a matter of development of each individual. Some people take longer to get there than others. I can say honestly, I did not function as an apostle, which is what God originally told me. I didn't function until after 10 years of full-time ministry, I finally really started functioning as an apostle. It took me that long. Ten times, as far as the biblical definition of what that guy does. But here, now those are the ministries. Thank God that we're in that. Find your place and grow in it. Learn. And I always say this too. If you believe that God has called you to be a prophet, then you need to find a prophet. And you need to serve under them and learn from them. It's like if you want to be a plumber, find a plumber and learn. You want to be a chef? You need to be a sous chef for a while. You need to get under that chef and see what they do and how they do it, whether the little nuances of things that you cannot easily read in a book. You need to study an apprenticeship position. Thank God I was I did I served under under an apostle. I served under a pastor. I served under a teacher. I've always been afraid of prophets and evangelists. So I kind of keep my distance from them. Because I'm I don't really fit there. You say, you don't prophesy? Oh yeah, I prophesy. I've operated as a prophet before um, and did it well when I have to do it. You say, when do you do that? When God sends me to a place where there is no prophet, He will anoint me and I will become a prophet. And it's weird because when it does come on me, it's fun because I just look around a room and see the words floating over people's heads. See it like it's written on a teleprompter. I can just see it. It's glorious. 
But you know what? Having operated in it, I don't want it. I've been, I've been told God, all right, then you keep that for a prophet because it's going to make me so spooky and weird. Because then you're always like... <laughs> That's why prophets do that, because they're seeing stuff all the time. They used to be called seers. Because they see things. Scary. But I, I served under a pastor, and I learned about pastor. I served under apostles. I watched... Uh, apostolic ministry in action many many churches and was involved in planting of churches under them to see just how it was done to learn the patterns and the principles how it's done that nation of God series we're doing on Wednesdays it came out of my experience seeing and learning through the years about how the, the local church operates okay let's go on to number six the passage in Ephesians 4 continues what's the reason for all this why do we have these guys well I'm glad you asked to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What a, what a good reason, right? So in this passage, the reason to equip the believers to build up the church and to mature everyone. In other words, mature mutually. So you see it broken down. Why would we need five people? Well, to equip His people. Whose people? His people. Christ. The people of Jesus. The church. The ones that He died for. Jesus loves the church. Jesus prays for the church. By the way, Jesus doesn't even pray for the world. If you're not in the church, Jesus is not even praying for you. He don't care. Now read the 17th chapter of John. He says, I don't pray for these. The Father cares about them. It says, for God so loved the world... He sent his own up. But Jesus made it very clear, mine are the church people. Those are mine. When he's sitting in intercession, don't think that Jesus is up there interceding for the world to get saved. He's praying for you. You're the one interceding and praying to the Lord of the harvest that he'd send forth laborers into the harvest field. He'd tell you what to do. He didn't say pray to me that I'd send forth laborers. He's, no, I'm going to take care of the church. I'm going to take care of the church. He loves us. We, why? Because he's madly in love with us. Why? Because he's our bridegroom. We're his bride. Yes. And he is head over heels in love. How, how in love do you have to be to allow yourself to get nailed to a cross? I mean, he loves us. Loves us. We can never love him back with the capacity, caliber, and strength of love that he's loved us. No, we cannot even be separated from that love. So he loves us. He cares. And this is really what the church is. The church is his people, his kingdom. And the fivefold, handcrafted by Jesus specifically to work on the believers, to equip his people for works of serve. Not to equip his people to be spiritually minded and sit around in a room. Works of service. So that the body of Christ may be built up. In other words, the fivefold ministry there to equip the people of God so they can function in their capacity and work so that the body that they're a part of can be built up and made strong. The word means made strong, solid, being built up until we all reach unity in the faith. In other words, not everybody's going to be unified in that yet. But if we have proper structure in the church and leaders are rising to their positions and taking them seriously under the anointing, well, that, that solidity, that strength will come together, will begin to gel into something that is strong. And that is really all this being the goal of the church, as we said. So we will become mature, attaining to the whole measure 
of the fullness of Christ. I heard one preacher say it this way, or a theologian talk about the fact, well, can I attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ? By yourself, probably not, but in a group, of course. We can all be different elements. We are the body of Christ, so I'll, I'm happy to be a Jesus here. I'm happy to be a Jesus mouth or a Jesus hand. If I can just be like His hand, that'd be great. Whatever it takes. But this is the reason why, this is why, to equip the believers, I, I take it very seriously to equip you. These kind of messages, what do you think I'm doing with a message like this? I'm equipping you. Giving you knowledge and understanding about the kingdom so that you not be tossed around by every wind, so that you not be driven, that you not be confused, but that you have stability and understand, you know what, I need to find my place. Uh, because everything is about me doing works of service and I need to be there. That's why we say our motto at Antioch is we work hard so that you can too. We want you to have a function and do it. And not just go around to, with, with ears wanting to be tickled. And that's the thing that happens is sometimes we, have, we just go scouting all the time for the next doctrine. We just want to hear, oh, did you hear this preacher? He's saying this. He said, no, no, be, be concerned about the physical work of the ministry. That's God's heart. What the church is doing? What are you doing for Jesus? What is your function? Find it and operate it. It's very important. Well, I don't like that. I'm going to go somewhere else. Well, you'll join the hundreds of others that have not stayed with me through the years. I've lost hundreds of people that don't like that kind of preaching. They want happy messages. But I can't do that. I'm sorry. I, can't. I, I need to preach the Bible. I need to preach what it says. This is just the passage speaking. Amen? The past, I lay the past out. This is just what I talked about Sunday night. Mind, not first. Word first, word to mind. I'm just, this is just the Bible. I lay it out. This is what it says. It's very clear. And I'm happy about it. And our reason for existence in the church is to equip His people. And we're going to do it. We're going to do it with the core. We're going to do it in every service. We're going to do it in our home groups. We're going to do it in our fellowships. We're going to get everybody equipped, prepared, so that we can continue to grow. And what are the results? Well, it's what we started with. Number seven, then... We will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, <coughs> speaking the truth in love, we will grow. How many of you want to grow? I want to grow. I don't want to stagnate. I don't want to stay the same. I want to continue to grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of Him who is the head that is Christ. From Him... The whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And that's what we must do. Amen? Worthy of the calling. These are the seven things that we just saw. Seven elements of the calling. Number one, the calling itself. He's calling you. Many are called, but few are chosen. All the ones that are chosen are the ones that respond to the call. The ones who are not chosen, they simply didn't respond to the call. If I said, hey, everybody, come up here, and only two come, whatever I'm giving away or doing, I can only give it to those two people. Everybody else said, I'll wait till later. Well, you know, you know what if I had, um, you know, pre-released iPhone 10s up here? You don't know. <laughs> and I got a whole sack of them, and, I, and only two people come up. And so I gave it to you. You come up later. Where's my iPhone 10? Oh, I called, but you didn't come. Many are called. Few are chosen. The ones chosen are the ones that respond to the call. That's simple. Yeah. Number two, the anointing. Yeah, that's his favor. That's the unity 
of the, that, that, of the Spirit, we must endeavor. We have to make every effort to maintain. That's why I'm always focused on the anointing, always focused on the Spirit, because from that comes the bond of peace. And the end of this passage talks about the ligaments and connecting us all together. What binds us, the bond, is the peace of God. You see peace and love. We see everything bringing us together. And of course, on a foundation of grace, the ministry itself, every ministry capacity came out of grace. Free gift. If He calls you as an apostle, you don't deserve that. You don't earn that. You don't need to. He just says it and so it is. Just like salvation. You believe in Him, He calls you righteous even though you're not. But you are. Why? Because the king said so. Whatever the king says is the truth. He says, you're righteous. Why? Because I believed in him. He counted it unto me as righteousness. So that same mentality applied to ministry. Oh, who do you think you are? You think you're an apostle? Well, if he calls me an apostle, I'm an apostle, whether you believe it or not. He calls me a pastor. I'm a pastor, a teacher. Whatever he tells me I am, I will, I will be by by the grace. The root. Oh, man, that's my favorite part of the message right there. All that Jesus did, that's the source of our power, is the completed work of the cross, death, burial, resurrection. But with all the details, that's how maturity comes out of that. Nothing can stand in our way. Nothing can stop us. Upon that rock of revelation, the church is established in the gates of hell, will not prevail against the, the hell. We can barge in the hell, just like he did. That's what he meant by that that I'm going to go there and kick the gates down and do whatever I want to do. And I'm going to take the keys of hell and death from Satan and give him a look while I do it. Okay. <laughs> and that's exactly what he did. Because I had a vision years ago in 1995. He showed me the moment that Satan, the authority, was stripped from him in the lower parts of the earth. Beautiful picture. I'm not going to go into it right now. But anyway, five the ministers, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, the reason. Why does He call us, anoint us, and put us on a foundation of grace? Why did He even do that whole work to make us ministers? For the equipping of the believers. For us to grow into something. You need the ministry so that you can become ministry. You need people to work on you so you can become a worker. So that you then can do the same, pay it forward, and have multi-generational development of the church Disciple after disciple. I instilled this so deeply in the disciples in our churches in Mexico. When I go back now, I count many, many generations. I meet disciples of the 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 disciples of my disciples. I just counted accurately. I know because I asked. Brother Sylvia, they hug me, they cry on me, thank you for coming to Uncle Pulka. I said, I've never seen you before in my life. And then they tell me why I'm a part of who, whoever's group. And I'm like, who's that? <laughs> so I, But I write it down and I ask other pastors there in the ministry. I said, who is this and who is that? And I do the etymology. It's beautiful to see this played out in reality from seeds I planted back in the 1990s, 92, 93, 94, and now multi-generational people all over the people all over the world. I have missionaries serving right now. You met some of them, Hector, young men, serving in Cambodia as missionaries who are disciples of my disciples of my disciples. And one is a disciple, 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 disciple of my disciple. So it shows you the fruit will continue. How many of you want that kind of legacy? How many of you want to go to heaven and be blamed for such a thing? Absolutely. 
That's what, that's the objective, that's the goal of the church. That's worthy of the calling. Worthy of it, meaning we do something to say, I believe and I accept this ministry and all that you've called me to do. Amen? Well, that's the word he told me to share with you tonight. I hope that it is worth something to you. And of course, the best way to make it a reality is just if you are already pursuing your call and what God wants you to do, then just keep doing that. If you say, well, I don't know. I'm a little confused about this. Well, hang around here because I'm going to keep talking about it. And I can shed some light on some issues for you. And if you want to be even more trained, I have a developmental course called The Core. We do it every year, June, July, and August. We will be here again. Looking forward to this coming year. I'm excited about the next program. I uh, have all these people coming. So, praise God. Thank you for listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. If you would like to support our efforts, please consider making a donation at www.antiochchurch.sg. Thank you.